everybody, and welcome back to Relatably Weird. This is just us being normal this time. We are back to normal. We took a, what, a week off? Two weeks? Two weeks? No, week off? Two weeks off? It was almost two weeks. We took we, a break. Yeah, we did our Spooktober, Spooktober Spectacular. And Which was a lot of fun. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, learned a lot of spooky facts, a lot of yes. Halloween facts, but now we're like back on track um mine is not spooky at all this week so either kind of get that normal feel back maybe it's definitely weird but not spooky weird oh yeah well i don't know some people might think it's spooky but yeah so just to recap um for those of you who are just joining us um tiffany and i cover all things weird we go from ghost stories to weird history to just Whatever happens across our mind that week. Conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. So Tiffany picks a weird topic. I pick a weird topic. I don't know what she's picked. She doesn't know what I've picked. Nope. Um, and if things get too weird, we have a safe word. So what's our safe word going to be for this week? Okay. So this was actually a listener request. Oh. Yeah. That's fun. So Love it. Our safe word for this episode is going to be pickles. Pickles. <laughs> Which I love pickles. You I know do this. Too. Except I was, for sweet pickles. I don't, I don't like sweet pickles. Eh, they're not my favorite. Well, I was obsessed. I used to get in trouble as a kid because I would sneak the pickles. And then when we would have hamburger night, there were no pickles. And mom would get oh, so yeah. mad at me. I remember that. So she started, like, she had a separate, like, you can eat these jar. Yes. But don't touch that jar. Absolutely. Um, And then when I got pregnant with Abby... I couldn't eat pickles. I was heartbroken. Yep. I was like a broken pregnant woman. Oh. It was because, you know. It was pretty sad. I do remember that. Oh, it was so sad. But after she was born, it came back. But anyways. I've recently discovered my love for other pickled things like pickled onions. Yeah. Like there's a restaurant in um, Louisville that does pickled onions with their, it's a smokehouse. And they do pickled onions with their with their food. Yes. And I love it. Man, it's so good. It. Yeah, I was very freaked out by them the first time I saw them. Because they're pink. Yeah, but then uh, I think it was actually at, uh, is it Royals that does the loaded potato wedges? Yes. That's where I was like, okay, these are fine. They're good. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Anyways, I digress. Pickles. Pickles. Pickles is going to be... Our safe word for today. Okay, so what's so, your teaser? I, what is your teaser for this week? Okay. Are you ready for this? Yes. Here's my teaser. I am about to be a freaking duchess. I'm sorry, what? I'm going to be a duchess for Christmas. That's going to be my Christmas gift to myself, and I'm going to discuss that. So, oh, I have questions already. (laughs) I'm so excited. Jeez. All right, can you follow that tagline? What's your tagline? Okay, so my teaser this week is I'm going to be talking about the Army's psychic soldier oh okay is this like because of today is veterans day when we're recording actually that was a total coincidence okay okay total coincidence um this was again i swear all of my topics tend to come from tiktok (laughs) yes yes they do i ran across this tiktok and i thought there is no way that this can be true there's no way so i started doing some research Turns out this is a legit thing, and I'm going to talk about it. Okay. Well, and just a side note, um, since it is Veterans Day, you know, we've got veterans in our family. We do. Um, we just want to say thank you to all of our veterans yes. out there. Um, 
if you have family members that are veterans, like just, you know, show them a little extra love today. Um, we appreciate their sacrifice and all of their, um, their work and their time they spend away from their families. Right. Um, so yeah, thank you if you're listening. Thank you. So with that being said, let's dive in. I, I need, I need to know. I need to know you about, about the psychic yes. soldier. Okay. So there actually, there were multiple psychic soldiers. Okay. But I'm going to focus primarily on one. Okay. Because he was the first one. He was like agent 001. <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of like 007, but it was 001. <laughs> okay. And his name was Joe McMonagall. Okay. Okay. Have you ever heard of him? No. Okay. I hadn't either. So just a little backstory on Joe McMonagall. He was born in January of 1946. He grew up surrounded by alcoholism, abuse, poverty, did not have a good childhood. Mm. And as a child, he had visions at night and, you know, whatnot. And it, it kind of scared him. And so as he as he grew, he learned to kind of hone his psychic abilities Okay. Like, I guess as a way to escape. Because, you know, typically, like... Oh, okay. Yeah. like a trauma response. Right. So, that makes sense. Yeah, so he did not have a good life growing up. And he actually joined the Army in 1964 to kind of escape his situation. I feel like you hear that a lot. You do. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of individuals that go into the Army or into any branch of the military... As a way to get out of some bad situations at home. Yeah. Um, so during his time in Vietnam, it was noticed that he had this uncanny ability to detect and avoid things like explosives, um, traps. Like, you know, like you'd be walking along and all of a sudden you mm. fall down and there were spikes in the bottom of this pit. Yes. I can't think of what Ooh. they're called right now. Totally just blinked on it. <laughs> But he had this uncanny way of, like, of just avoiding it. Huh. And this did not go unnoticed. So he was unfortunately um, injured in a helicopter accident in Vietnam. Ooh. Which kind of, you know, that... Yeah. Kind of injures your career, too. Oh, you know? yeah. And he was actually approached and questioned about his thoughts on clairvoyant abilities after this. That would be so out of the blue. It like, was very out of the blue. So they had kind of already started this project. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of looking at, do we want to build this out? Do we want to explore this? And Joe was one of the first people that they actually approached. I would have straight up pickles. Like, well, because like, okay, <laughs> one day you're out there avoiding these traps. And then the next day somebody's asking you about psychic your abilities. psychic abilities. Like... Hello. Right. What? Well, apparently Joe gave all the right answers because Because they... he knew him ahead of time. <laughs> Sorry. He knew him ahead of time. Yes. Um, well, no. It, and I le actually listened to a documentary where he was explaining how, like, they brought, they, they brought these soldiers in and questioned, you know, how do you feel about this? What is, oh. what's your view on psychic abilities and clairvoyancy? And, you know, he was very upfront. He's like, yeah, he's like, I think that if this is a real thing, that we'd be stupid not to pursue it. Yeah. Because if you can psychically tell what your your enemies are up to, 
you got a leg up. Oh, absolutely. So it was a really smart answer. It was an honest answer, not like he was just, right, you know, making it up. Um, but they actually, they, so they, they, he became agent 001, as I said, um, to this top secret project at Fort Meade, Maryland. Um, and it was basically watching people that he couldn't see as a remote viewer. And that's what they refer to them as. Like they don't refer to them as psychics. Right. They refer to them as remote viewers. That's interesting. It's and it's super fascinating. Like, I went down this deep rabbit hole researching this. The whole project was just incredible. So, hold on. Question. So, did there, or were there any explanations as to why they chose to refer to them as remote viewers versus psychic? Was it to kind of overcome the... Uh, the stigma? Yeah, the stigma of kind it. Kind of, because it was a very taboo topic. Um they didn't want to come off as seeming it was it was a taboo topic at the time it's not as widely as accepted as it is today right so but now remote viewing the reason why they kind of went with this and it makes sense whenever we kind of start talking about what they actually did the way that he explained it was that remote viewing is the act of describing and or drawing details about a place, a person, or a thing without having any prior knowledge of it. Makes sense. So you're remote and it's over a distance. Right. But you're clairvoyantly viewing it. Yes. Yeah. Remote viewer. Remote viewing. Makes sense. I'm here for that. Right. It makes sense to me. And, and like... I'm, I'm sorry. And unlike <laughs> words, unlike crystal ball gazing, tarot card reading, tea leaf reading, throwing bones, bones day, no bones day. It was a no bones day, by the way. Today and was I, a no bone day. I, I, I don't know. It was a day. <laughs> so unlike things like crystal ball gazing and tea leaf reading, these remote viewings always they were always conducted under strict scientific protocols mm. so like the a lot of like double blind test oh gotcha yeah and um there was one guy that was sharing his experience of he would go in and they would draw a symbol mm -hmm. on a piece of paper seal it in an envelope Put it in a lockbox. Only one of the scientists had the key to the lockbox. He had no knowledge of this. So they brought him into this room. This individual into the room. And he had to remote view what was on this piece of paper. I feel like I've heard this story. You may have. Because it sounded this part sounded familiar to me. Okay, continue. So he had to draw what was on the piece of paper and like it was something crazy like nine times out of ten it was spot on huh and it was the most random symbols like one looked like an envelope one looked like uh the symbol for female like one hmm. was a boot so we're not talking like generic this is a triangle this is a circle no so they were a little more complex mm -hmm. with their symbols yes that's yeah yeah so it's really cool so this top secret project, which it went by 
many names throughout the years, um, but it's primarily known or you, you hear it referred to most as Project Stargate. Oh. Like the movie and the yes. series Stargate. Yeah, I know. I love it. It was started by the, CN- by the CIA in 1972. And over the course of 20 years, they only trained 25 viewers. Oh. Just 25 people were trained to do this remote viewing. Hmm. So it was a very select group of people. It's not like they had like a whole platoon right. of people. That could do this. Which honestly makes more sense. Yeah. And it was really neat because these remote viewers, they could provide additional information that could be used in conjunction with intelligence gathered by satellites or spies or other traditional means. Oh. So it was almost like a complementary skill set. Yeah. To what they were already using. Teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) Oh, God. I know. (laughs) So, in the individuals that were selected for the program, they were chosen because, in addition to the analytical left brain skills that possessed by most military officers, they also had accomplishments in the fine arts, in music, language, and some other right brain type activities. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I guess that that kind of made them stand out, much like Joe McMonagall. You know, it, it was very clear that he had some kind of special talent, we'll say. Right. Skill. And so a typical work day for McMonagall was he would report to this old, leaky wooden barracks at Fort Meade, mm-hmm. where he went into a one-person office. He sat at a desk with a typewriter and a mug of coffee. Same. (laughs) Yeah, right. You can't do anything without coffee. I'm just saying. Can't start your day without it. He was then presented with sealed envelopes. And these envelopes were varying sizes. Sometimes they were small. Sometimes they were big. Um, And he was asked to supply information about whatever was inside these envelopes. Hmm. So, like, it could be a picture of a random person. Oh, and then he was supposed to give, like, details about Mm -hmm. what they looked like. Well, I think the way I understood it is the envelopes were sealed until he got it. But then he would open it up, look at the person, and he would either, he would be asked to, to give some type of description. Whether it was where they were located, what they were doing. Oh, I see. Yeah. And sometimes it was around places, too. Like, mm-hmm. here's a picture of a place, and then whatever. they He has to give some kind of description about stuff that's going on, what he sees, that hmm. kind of thing. Um, and some of his successful sessions included things like locating hostages in Iran. Oh. Right. No pressure. No pressure at all. He predicted almost precisely... Where Skylab was going to fall 11 months before the spacecraft actually returned to Earth. Ooh, pickles. Yeah, right? Pickles. Talk about having goosebumps on that day. Yeah. So, Did they take his warning? I gotta know. I think they did. Okay. Okay. Um, but he basically, and if you think about like how big the Earth is, he was within like, uh, it was a couple hundred miles. 
Like it was real close considering yeah. you got this whole earth to pick a spot where this craft is going to land. Yeah. And when you're talking about like on the scale of the earth, you got it within a couple hundred miles. That's that's yeah, that's dang accurate. Yeah. So that one was really impressive. And then he also, he was able to name the city in Italy. And I'm going to butcher this. Pauda? Padua? P-A-D-U-A. Okay. He, and what he did was he described the second floor apartment where Brigadier General James Dozier. Do, Dozier? Dozier? I'm terrible with names. Same. Was held hostage by the Red Brigades in 1981. And this information arrived in Italy on the day that that the Brigadier General was actually released. Okay. So he, he nailed that one. Huh. Knew exactly where he was at. All right. And this one was pretty impressive, too. In 1979, he was able to predict a new class of Soviet submarines... Months before there was photographic evidence Ooh. of their existence. Oh, right, pickles, pickles. I pickles myself <laughs> over here. <laughs> I know typically it's the other way around. Like we typically like pickle each other's topics, but <laughs> <laughs> I know. But yeah, it, that it just is so crazy. Like the things that he was able to just absolutely nail. See, I feel like I would be so bad if I was involved in this experiment oh. because I would just be testing the heck. There would be no scientific. I would just be asking all kinds of questions. Oh, I know. So over the years, McMonagall said that he was involved in about 450 of these missions. Wow. Yeah. And the, I guess they asked him what one of his favorites was. And he cited um, this mission in 1980 when... CIA personnel captured a suspected KGB agent in South Africa. And so they wanted to know how the agent was actually communicating with the Soviet military. Oh. I'm keep on, this right. is all happening during the Cold War. Yeah. And what they did was they put this, this envelope on McMonagall's desk. And without knowing anything about this man... McMonagall told the CIA that the man liked to use a small pocket calculator. Hmm. And it turned out that that calculator was actually disguised, was a disguised shortwave ra radio. Stop it. Yes. No. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It was a disguised shortwave radio that he was using to communicate with the Soviet. I love spy gear. Right? Like, I think it's because we grew up watching Alias. Yes. And Alias. I can't think of the character's name, but he would always make her the fancy, cool little spyware that, mm -hmm. like, oh, this looks like lipstick, but it's poison well, or whatever. Like or Gadget. Yeah. And, I mean, Batman always That's had little gadgets. But, like, how would he know, know. that this guy had this calculator? I don't, it, I'm telling you, this man had some crazy psychic abilities. So after after the program was declassified in like I think it was 1995, he kind of started putting this out there mm. that this is what happened, this is what we did, this is how we used it. Yeah. In in a 1995 ABC special called "Put to the Test," he was literally put to the test. Oh. Yeah. So the independent producer Ruth Riven 
Riven names of elemental productions flew McMonagall out to Houston, which it's important to note here. McMonagall had never visited Houston. Okay. So flew him out there and she hired a location scout and instructed her to go take photos of several Houston landmarks. Okay. Out of those landmarks, one was randomly drawn by roll of the dice. Okay. So completely random. So then Ruth sent an official of the Houston Tourist Bureau out to that selected location. Meanwhile, McMonagall was locked in a room that was windowless and was only shown a photo of the tourist or sorry, of the tourism official oh, okay. that was sent to that location. So basically they told this tourist tourism, gosh, tourism <laughs> struggle bus tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they told this person to basically just go be in this area. Yeah. And then without knowing, you know, this official at all, he was asked to describe where the individual was at. Ooh, ooh, pickles. Oh, yeah. Hold on to your jar of pickles. <laughs> so he, as he was describing it, he spoke of a natural river that had been improved by man and of a bridge with foot traffic. Oh, stop it. So that was his, that was his description. Okay. So where was the official at? On a bridge. Close. <laughs> They were standing near the ship channel in Houston. Oh. A altered man-made river. Right. And there was a bridge, albeit for automobiles, in the distance. Fascinating. Right? Wow. Crazy stuff. I just, I mean, I know that we kind of joke around about being empathic and having intuitive right. abilities and sometimes we do, level. but not to this level. Interesting. Yeah. So McMonagall, he actually retired from the army in 1984, um, but he continued after that to work as a Stargate consultant. So he still kind of worked with the program, even though he was retired. Um, and apparently he, I don't know if he's the owner or if he just... He runs this institute where basically they help people hone their intuitive abilities. Hmm. Um, and it's kind of funny because he said he knew that whenever he first joined the Stargate project, that he would never again be taken seriously for any other job in the military. So, I mean, he was putting it all on the line for this project. Well, I mean, I get like if your convictions are there. Well, and he was super convicted about it because he even said that he felt like the assignment was too important. To national to to national security hmm. to turn the offer down. I mean, yeah, yeah. So there you go. That is the army's psychic soldier. Well, that's fascinating. I'm telling you, there's documentaries out there. There's he actually wrote several books. Yeah, you ought to check it out sometime. It's it's crazy. I will. All right. So, I need to know about this whole you being a Duchess for Christmas thing. Because <laughs> if you're a Duchess for Christmas, I'm going to have to step my gift game up. The, oh, yeah. Like, this is, like, the ultimate, like, 
you you would have to refer to me as Duchess Caitlin or uh-huh. Duchess. I don't know how that all works. I'd Whatever. figure it out. I'm your sister. I'm still gonna call you Caitlin. Heck, no, you're not. If oh, yes, I am. If I'm a Duchess, hmm, bet. I ain't calling you Duchess anything. <laughs> Okay. Call you Dutch oven. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Oh. Rude. <laughs> oh, you're lucky. I love you. Okay, so seriously though. Okay, but seriously. How, how do you become a duchess? Okay, well, let me tell you the story of Sealand. So this actually starts. Is in... this a real place? Yes. The it actually. World? No, 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 not, not even close. Right. Okay, so. This actually starts in World War II. Okay. Um, we're over in Britain, right? Mm-hmm. Britain needs a way to defend itself from Germany, which is just like a hop, skip, and a jump away. Absolutely. Okay, so they don't want to get invaded. They've got, you know, they need to protect themselves from, like, planes flying over. So they go and they build um, a bunch of fortresses out in the ocean. Oh. Kind of like oil rigs. Okay. They're like concrete and steel like they're they're pretty solid all right but they're just out there in the ocean so um allegedly Allegedly. and i say that quite heavy-handedly because i'll explain here in a minute okay allegedly (laughs) some of these were built illegally oh okay being that they were built in again allegedly international waters so you're going to be a duchess of prison. Uh, well, hear me out. Okay. I, oh my gosh, I fell down this rabbit hole of researching how laws work for mm-hmm. water. Oh. Like international waters. And oh my gosh. It's some pretty crazy stuff. I spent hours reading on it. I still don't fully grasp because it's such a touchy subject. There's like all these little pieces to it so like if you go on a cruise ship you can buy things like duty free right because it's international waters oh there was like a whole portion i read just on cruise ships like it got so deep as to okay if you're an american but you're on a norwegian cruise ship and you're in norwegian waters and you give birth you can kind of argue that your child should have norwegian citizenship Oh. And that's why they don't like super pregger women to <laughs> take cruises. Get on the boat. Cause it's a whole thing. Like there's a okay. whole page just on cruise ships. I mean that'd be a cool story though. I hey, just... I've got Norwegian, I've got dual citizenship. You just happen to be on the right boat. I don't know. So I got really lost in this, and this is where the allegedly comes in. So okay. let me give you the basics. So there's international waters. Right. There's territorial waters, and there are, yeah, and then there's internal water. So internal, obviously, closest to the coast. Okay. Territorial is a little further out, and of course, we all know international waters just out there. Out there, yes. So, according to what I read on the law pages, Mm -hmm. international waters typically start 200 nautical miles from a country's shoreline. Okay. Which, if you're talking land miles, works out to about 230 miles. Yeah. Like, it's a good little chunk of a distance. Okay. So, the reason that I got so lost, and I was talking to my friend Christian about this, it was so frustrating because the law page is saying one thing, This these other websites are saying, well, they were built in, you know, illegally, 
But according to what I read, this particular fortress that I'm talking about is called Fort Ruff's Tower. Um, it's slightly north of the region of the River Thames on the east coast of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So what I read was that it's located seven nautical miles out from the shoreline. So, so I don't would that be internal waters, right? So there's this whole like, okay, was it illegal? Was it not? That's why. So like this discrepancy really ate me up, but I almost right. changed my topic. Oh jeez. And I was like, Christian, I don't know what to do. Like this is driving me insane. Like I don't know how to present this. So I kind of changed how I'm going to present this okay. story. What I'm going to give you guys is what I got off of their website. Sealand hmm. not only has a website, what? But they have their own Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Stop. Yes. So what I'm pulling, the things I'm sharing, it, this is from their website. So the story goes that um and I'm just I'm going to chalk up the discrepancy to dramatic storytelling. Okay. Because if you read the website, it sounds a little dramatic. Um, but I'm just going to focus on their story as they tell it. Okay. So um, this guy named Roy Bates um, saw that after the war was over, you know, these fortresses were just abandoned. Just there. Yeah, they're just there. Um, and he was actually a major in the British Army. So he knew about them. He knew how they worked. And he's like, hey, these fortresses are just abandoned. Hmm. So he was like, I'm going to go take over one. <laughs> because, I mean, why wouldn't you? Uh, I'm sorry. That's just like a very masculine thing to do. I know. It's I'm going to go take over this thing. I'm Give me the it. fortress. I'm going to claim this fortress <laughs> as my own. The pillow fortress just wasn't cutting it. He no, needed a real one. He needed a real one. So he actually, he did not originally take over um, the one I mentioned earlier. Yeah. He actually took over one. That was called Knock John. And what he did when he set up at Knock John was he set up what was called a pirate radio station. So basically, on land, there's all these um, regulations for broadcasting. Like, you could only oh, broadcast okay. XYZ. You couldn't. Tracking. Yeah. So there's all these regulations. So he goes out to this fortress and he runs a pirate radio station where he can... Do whatever he wants. Yeah, he can put more things out there. He can broadcast different things outside of those regulations. Um, but the British said, nope. Nay, nay, I say. Nay, nay, I say. Um, and so then a long legal battle, of, of course. course, pops up. Um, in the end, I'm not, I'm going to spare you the details, but in the end, Bates lost. Oh. And they were like, hey... You know, Knock John falls within UK jurisdiction and you've got a cease operation. And he said, well, I'll just move further out. Oh, geez. So this is when he goes to Fort Ruff's Tower. Okay. It's a little further out, um, kind of outside of that line of jurisdiction. So, so he's like, well, I'm just going to. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to move out further. Because there's, there's this whole thing with like three miles from shore is... Under this jurisdiction, right. it was a hot mess. Again, I got lost in it, so we're just going with a different we'll direction. Roll with it. So <laughs> he moves further out. He establishes Sealand. Did he establish another pirate radio station? He did. 
He continued his operation. I kind of want to know what was on this radio station. I know, right? Yeah. So this is straight off of the website. And I had a kick reading (laughs) this website. Like, it's, I'm going to read you some snippets from the website because it's just gold. It's gold. Yes. Okay. So this is on there. Like, I always scroll down to the bottom of any website that I go to. Mm -hmm. I look at their, like, about me, like, Mm. all that stuff. Because it's just, you know, history major. It's like, okay, where is this source coming from? So I checked that out. And there's this little snippet at the very bottom. And it says, Sealand was founded as a sovereign principality in 1967 in international waters, seven miles off of the eastern shores of Britain. The history of Sealand is a story of a struggle for liberty. <laughs> struggle. It's just That's why I'm talking this up to dramatic storytelling. Like, it just sounds so theatrical. It does. I love it. Um... So he moves out there, you know, they're they're going to do this radio thing. And um, I just want to read you a summary of how they decided to make Sealand Sealand. Okay. So this is straight from their website. Verbatim. Verbatim. I literally not copied. In, not Kate's interpretation. No, no. Copied, pasted. I... Yes. Okay. Okay. So remember, good old Mr. Roy Bates. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Roy proceeded to occupy Ruff's Tower on Christmas Eve of 1966 with the intention of revitalizing his dormant radio station. This was until he conjured a different plan entirely. After consulting his lawyers, Roy decided to declare this this fortress island the independent state of Sealand, claiming Law of Nations over a part of the globe that was terra nullius. And I don't know if I'm saying that right, but basically nobody's land. On September, I'm sorry, on the 2nd of September, 1967, accompanied by his wife, Joan, on her birthday. Yeah. His son, Michael, 14, daughter, Penelope, 16, and several friends and followers, Roy declared the Principality of Sealand. The founding of this country was marked by the raising of a newly designed flag. (laughs) Sorry, hold on. (laughs) And in an extremely romantic gesture, birthday gesture, the bestowing of the new title on his beloved wife to be known from that moment on as Princess Joan. Princess Joan. I know. So this is this is part of their story. Okay, you... also, in my mind, I pictured this guy as a single dude. Right. <laughs> like, no. You started talking about wife and kid, and I'm like, wait, he had a wife and kid? I totally pictured him as a single dude. No, taking man. Taking over these fortresses. No, 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 no. So, I, for our listeners, I know you can't see this, but I'm going to let Tiffany look, and I'm going to let her respond. We are currently... On the website for Sealand. Okay. Um, so this is where I mean, like it looks like a very official website. Right? Um, so I scrolled through all of this. You know, they've got the cute little pictures of like their family, you know. Oh, in the background, yeah. Yeah, so like okay, this is yeah. all of the people. I think that's Princess Joan. Princess Joan. I know like <sighs> Are you supposed to like curtsy to her? I'm just saying, like, birthday needs to step it up. Right. Because 
I did not get that for my birthday. No, you did not. I did not. So, where is it at? I was scrolling through, playing around with this website, right? And okay. I found probably my favorite part of this whole website. And oh, I kind of no. had a moment. They have an online shop. What? Yes, after I got done mulling over all of their... Um, Can you buy, like, merch? Yes. Stop. So after I, like, perused their social media, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a shop. That's crazy. Yeah. And there's more. I just want to note, there is more to the story of Sealand. Right. Um, But I just kind of wanted to focus on, like, how it got started. Like, yeah. a bunch of people live there. Um, It kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies because they sleep in the towers, typically under sea level. Oh. Yeah. But they're, they, mm, they nope. live there. Nope. Yeah. And um, just to point out, the British did try to shut this one down too. And they ended up back in court for the second time. Shocker. And it got so intense that they were quoting 17th century laws. Stop. And basically the judge was like, this is no more than like a, um, oh, I just blanked out on it. Um, this is basically like a duel. Like you oh, just right, whatever. Just let him be. So like it kind he kind of won that him. time. Just let him have yeah. their little island, but like fortress, whatever. These men are fighting over a fortress, quoting seventeenth century law. I just this was so entertaining. Mm. So back to Sea okay. Land Shop merch store. Yes, they have a merch store. Can you get like souvenir keychains and yes! shot glasses? Stop! No. Okay, not shot glass. There are no shot glasses, pickles, but pickles. N- totally they're... not like creepy pickles, but just like pickles. You can get a mug? No. There are key rings. You could get a Sealand flag. Oh my gosh. You can even get a desk flag. You could get Is that one of those rubber bracelets? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but this is, this is where, oh, they have their own stamps. Stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can get Sealand shirts. You can buy a copy of the Constitution. They have a Constitution? Yes, they do. I guess you have, do you have to have a Constitution to be considered a country? I mean, I guess. I don't know. I don't, anyways. Okay, but right here at the top, this is what really caught my eye. A bunch of folders? You can buy a title. What? This is how I'm going to become... Okay, here are your options. You can become a lord, lady, baron, or baroness. Okay, that's like the more affordable option. Or you can become a duke or a duchess. You can become a count or countess. A what? A count or a countess. Oh, count. Like Count okay, Dracula. I what I heard was counter contest. A counter contest. Like, I'm like, what is that? They're Never just, heard of that. They're out here making up I mean, countries, making up titles. They're making up all kinds of things. So, I mean, it just fits right in with the narrative. <laughs> yeah. Um. You can also become a sir or a dame, which is dame. basically knighthood. Um. Yeah. Or you can register a piece of Sealand territory. Okay. So, how much does it cost to become a dame? Um... In, like, British money. Sorry, my brain just blanked out. Pounds, thank you. You're looking at about $129. To be a dame? To be a dame. Because I'm not going to lie. This title dame is kind of cool. Okay, but hear me out. Dame. If you want to be a duchess, you are looking at, in American dollars, roughly $888. Oh, heck no. To be a duchess. 
but it doesn't expire. And you don't have to like pay like this is not like eight hundred eighty eight dollars a year. It's like a one time fee. Right now, oh, it continues to get weirder, <sighs> more interesting. However, you wanna. Okay. Okay. This is what is included in your Duke or Duchess title packet. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just imagine them like mailing you this packet of information and history and it's just okay. fascinating. Like I know we're laughing. I'm not trying to make fun of them. It's just this is such a weird concept it is. to me. And like I've seen, um, you know, like last year at Christmas, it was, you know, buy a square foot of land in Scotland or whatever. Ireland, like, Scotland, Ireland. Yeah, yeah, like it's not a new concept, but it's not one I've really buy a star. looked into. Name yeah, a, buy a star. Name a star after your loved one. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what you get in your packet. Mm-hmm. Okay. You get a framed, personalized, individual, noble title deed Hoo-hoo. that is personally signed by Prince Regent Michael of Sealand, which is Roy's son. Okay. Yeah. You get a personalized proof of title gold card, an elegant official documents folder. Ooh, elegant. Elegant. Information about the Principality of Sealand. Uh, location information, history of Sealand, photos of the Principality and the royal family. Uh, biographies of Prince Roy, Princess Joan, and Prince Regent Michael. That's a little much. Oh, dramatic. Dramatic. Uh, you get a complete world fact book entry, which I'm not sure what that is. And then they give you a rundown of their government structure. Oh, my God. They have their own government. So while Sealand has never actually been officially recognized as a country, and they even call themselves the Principality of Sealand, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know, it's just. I mean, it's basically yeah. like its own little country. Yeah. And I was trying to how see. Did that, does it say anywhere, like, how big it is? Like. Yes. And I'm trying to find Because you said people it. live there. It's not very big. So the, it's not a very big fortress to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not. Hmm. And I want to say the whole um, area that they have claimed is like a mile, a square mile and oh, that's not some change. I want to say it was like 1.6. That might be wrong. Less than two that's, miles. I would say that's not big at all. Yeah. And so the fortress wow. here, let me show you a picture. If you, I don't know if you want to try to describe this. Um, so there's a picture. Okay, so it looks like they were starting to build a bridge <laughs> over the water, and they just gave up. Yeah. That's what it looks like, because it's got the two big cylinder on the sides, mm-hmm. and then the T, concrete T-bar across the top, and that's it. It literally looks like they started to build a bridge, and they just gave up. Yeah, and so these, um, this is where people live. Um, people live in those pillars. And no, they said somewhere it said a lot of them live under the waterline, which would totally oh, no. freak me out. I say we're back to that whole like vasilophobia thing. Exactly. It just ooh, yeah, no, that would freak me out. Okay, so so Caitlin's Caitlin scrolled up, and there's another picture. It's a colored picture. And oh, this one, yeah, yeah. It from here, it looks like a helipad. Oh, it kind of does, yeah. <laughs> which I mean, I guess 
to get on and off of this sea land principality, I guess you'd have to go by boat. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's really, it doesn't look big enough to, you might be able to land like a small helicopter on it. Yeah, it's, it's very small. Ugh. But yeah, so there's, like, I could go on and on about Sealand and um, just a lot. There's so much information out there, actually. But To be such a small Yeah, it's just fascinating. Just the fact that this guy was like, I'm going to start a radio station. Actually, I'm going to start my own country literally on this little fortress out here in the water it's not even land yeah that's crazy it's just so bizarre but yeah you can go to sealandgov.org that's sealandgov.org and just peruse i don't know check out the merch shop maybe Um, buy yourself a title yeah there's some cheaper ones on there you know like not less than the 800 (laughs) okay if i can't be a dame maybe i won't maybe i'll be a baroness now there is an option on here. I think it was this one that where you register a piece of the territory. Mm-hmm. But it's like it expires after like 10 years. Oh. And it basically you get a title certificate to a square foot. Nope. And I think if I remember, I think I was doing the math and it's like 44,000 square feet. Is that right? I don't know. Don't check my math on that. I'm off the clock. I don't math off the nope, clock. we're not mathing today. No. But anyway, it was just like insane to me. Like crazy. How a little area they're working with. But yeah. So I don't know what you're doing for vacation next year, but I, th- I think we should, uh, we should visit Sealand. Uh, or maybe not. Or maybe not. If I'm a duchess by then, I mean, well. I have to greet my people. <laughs> Greet your people. I need the people to love me. Oh, stop. <laughs> but yeah, it's pickles. just pickles. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. So I All found right. Sealand. It's the world's smallest country. Fascinating. Yeah. But that's all I have. That's I'm gonna stop there, go check out the website, look at their social media. Okay. It's quite fascinating. Okay. Yeah, I'm a little curious by their social media. I I almost died. I was like, they have Instagram. <laughs> And Twitter? <laughs> That's great. So, I mean, yeah. speaking of merch, if you haven't already, check out our link in our bio and go to our merch store. We have yes. some merch of our own. We don't have any titles. No titles. You can't, can't be Duchess of Relatably Weird or anything. But you but can get an awesome hoodie. You can get a fantastic hoodie. I have one. It's super comfortable. I highly recommend the lightweight one. Um, the t-shirts I've got are the baseball tee. Super oh, cozy. yeah. The baseball tee is really nice. Too. I do need to get a hoodie, though. Yeah. It's it's hoodie season, so it is hoodie season. You can get stickers. Yes, stickers. There's a whole bunch of really cool things on there. Baseball so, yeah. caps if you're wearing baseball. I can't. Yeah. I can't pull off hats. I can now. I couldn't before. Yeah, you can now. I cannot. Yeah, this. I found a whole new style this year. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you did. But yeah, so check out our merch store. Um, again, no titles, but definitely pick up a hoodie or something. And um, I guess we'll be back in another two weeks with yes. a couple more relatably weird topics. Yes. Be interesting to see how we follow up the Duchess of Relatably Weird, Kate. <gasps> I'm Duchess Kate! Duchess Kate! No. No. Oh! No. Oh. Okay. I guess oh. I won't be. No. But y'all have a wonderful week. We'll catch you again in two weeks. And... 
we will see you later. Bye. Bye.